0: <laughs> Friends, because the proclamation of the word is a communal affair, it takes a church to proclaim and hear the good news and respond to it together. I pray the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we offer our bodies to you in view of the mercy available to us in this place. We trust that you're here, Jesus, that you want to speak, and that you want your people to say yes and respond and and move towards you and a lot of your good news. So give us the faith to lay hold of your grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hear that amen, Remy. I hear it. I hear it. I hear it. I hear it. Mark 1, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. The the Spirit forced Jesus into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild animals, with the wild animals, and angels took care of him, ministered to him, waited on him, served him. Friends, uh, this is the first Sunday of Lent where uh, going to preach through the gospel readings, and our series is going to be Lent: A Table in the Wilderness. We'll talk more about what a wilderness is, but Lent is a forty-day season. What did you do there? <laughs> Lent is a forty-day season. Uh, <laughs> where <laughs> that was really loud. Uh, Lent is a forty-day season where we are uh, journeying with Jesus into the dark places. Uh, into the places of suffering and barrenness, uh, places of evil even, in ourselves and in our world and facing them. There's a table set before us in the presence of our enemies as we walk through Lent with Jesus. Today we're proclaiming the good news, friends, that our journey in Lent is one through the wilderness where we face with Jesus all that opposes and enslaves his good creation. Take heart, though, friends. Jesus has overcome evil. His kingdom is available today. And we can receive his power right in the midst of our fear and our anger. So Ash Wednesday was Valentine's Day, which created some interesting conundrums for uh, young Christian lovers. (laughs) Um. It also uh, was the date of the latest mass shooting in America. Uh, Obviously, you've seen and read the news. A young man named Nicholas Cruz showed up at a school in Florida and murdered at least 17 people and injured countless more. There's this uh, liturgy we have in America where, um, uh, you know, we have these, um, I, was a, I was in college when Columbine happened, but we have Columbines and Sandy Hooks and Lakeland, Florida, and they seem, and there's been dozens more, and they seem to sort of just keep repeating, and there's this liturgy that happens when, when tragedy strikes like this, when, when uh, kids are uh, shot and killed. There's... Uh, Conversations about mental health and um, kids' lives matter, and gun owners' lives matter, and and with Nicholas Cruz, there's there's failures around, right? There's the FBI failed, and his. Parents failed by, by dying and, and, and his friends failed because they didn't report him enough or as often as they should have. And, and legislators failed because assault rifles are still legal and, and students' protests and, 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 they're, and they're walking out. And, and everyone is just bracing for the next mass shooting because we know, we know, don't we, that it's going to happen again. Because nothing changes. Because we're 20 years past Columbine and Columbine keeps happening. It's like some violent Groundhog's Day where we wake up and we see the shadows of the kids who are dead. So how do we handle tragedies like this? What do we do with the picture of 17 kids killed cowering behind their trapper keepers? I mean, some people get angry. I'm angry. I want to find somebody to blame and let them have it, even if it's on my Facebook page. There has to be somebody to blame for this that I can channel all my anger towards, and they can be scapegoated for this problem. Of course, it's hard to function, parent, eat dinner, with seething rage that has no recompense. So eventually uh, we go to numbing or escaping, right? What time does Lindsey Vaughn ski today? I don't want to miss it. There's revenge, right? Little, little revenge where we uh, plot on how to drop a certain uh, article that, that has our way of seeing this tragedy. We, we plot on how do I drop that in the mailbox of my great-aunt Bertha who disagrees with me and let her have it. Or we simply give our thoughts and prayers. I bring up what happened in Lakeland because, um, friends, every week we, we share a story from our life. Sometimes it's humorous. I talked about Arrested Development a couple weeks ago. Sometimes it's tragic. I'm talking about 17 kids who gave their life at a school this week. Because uh, when we hear the word proclaimed, it's coming always. It's coming into. God's story is always coming into our story. Always into a story. You bring your story here today, and, and God doesn't want you to become smarter, and he doesn't want you to leave here as a good little boy and girl, trying harder to do better, but he wants to come into your story right where you live, like the seat of who you are, and call forth new identity and new vocation from you. So we got to get in touch with what we're living. Today, friends, today, today I think our our nation once again is living in grief, mourning, anger, apathy. I bring it up too because our text today is from Mark chapter 1, and oftentimes when we read the Gospels, we read them as these theological treatises as these tomes of good information and right things to know about God, and we fail to remember that they were written for a reason. They were written, they were, they were provoked for a reason. So the Gospel of Mark wasn't just written because somebody thought, I've got, I got a sabbatical. I'm going to go write the story of Jesus for people 2,000 years later. No, the Gospel of Mark is written in the late 60s, A.D. or C.E., Most people think it was written to Jewish Christians living in Palestine, living through the Jewish revolt that was happening in Palestine. Now, it's super important to get this, and I can't do it justice in 36 seconds, but I'm going to try. The Romans had occupied Palestine for centuries with some interruptions. The Jews, friends, think about this, the Jews were colonized the closest analogy that we have to the Jewish mentality of what it meant to live under Roman rule, think of like African colonies in the early 20th century. Right? These European powers came in, set up the hegemony of of European culture and, and colonized African countries. And the people there sort of had their identity stripped and Lived kind of free, but under this imperialistic rule. That's what Palestine was. The Jews were our African brothers and sisters in the early 20th century. And in the late 60s, they'd had it. Like they were done. They were done. And there were all kinds of factions. The the Romans uh, were um, still ruling, but there were these rebels, not only rebels in Jerusalem, but rebels in Galilee and, and and in other areas of Palestine. And there were these revolts and, and the temple was taken and the, the high priests were all killed but some of the ruling class got away and these Jews were like, it was like crossings and double crossings and all these, all these uh, new people wanted to be king in Jerusalem. The world was ending because in the late 60s Rome started to march on Palestine and everybody knew it's on and it's, and it's, it's like this, the, the Armageddon clock is ticking. And these Christians, who are still Jews, they're they're Jewish Jewish people who follow the Christ at this time. They're they're not really distinct from the Jews entirely. They're asking the question, how do I live in the midst of all hell breaking loose? Whose side do I throw my weight on? Do I I go in with this rebel? Or do I go in with the people who are hold up in the temple in Jerusalem? Do I somehow sneak in there? Do I go out to Masada where the zealots are going to make their stand? Like, what do I do? There's promises of salvation. There's, there's wars and rumors of wars. They're asking the question, how do, I live, how do I live following Jesus when everything around me is going to hell in a handbasket? Is that a question that might have something for us today. Mark helps war-torn, wearied, isolated Christians living in a colonized land full of violence and betrayal and crossings and double-crossings make sense of what it means to live in the power of Jesus. Today, friends, in our journey in Lent, we proclaim... That Jesus opposes all that enslaves his creation in the wilderness. So take heart. Jesus has overcome evil. His kingdom is available today. And we can receive his power right in the midst of the occupation of our fear and anger. So most Gospels give the story of the temptation of Jesus, and there's these three little scenarios, right? Stones into bread, jump off the temple, bow down to me, right? That's not in Mark. We don't get a story. We get a photograph. We get just little verse snapshot, right? The Spirit casts Jesus out into wilderness. the wilderness. The, when Jesus casts demons out, it's the same verb. So the Spirit casts Jesus into the wilderness, says in Mark 1, drove him out. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, With the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. I just wanna focus on those two verses. But we don't get a temptation story, we get a confrontation snapshot in Mark. This is a still photo. This is a still photo. There's not drama here. There's just Jesus was tempted, click. And what's in the picture? There's Jesus, there's the Spirit, there's Satan, there's the angels. And there's like some anteaters and aardvarks and things. Well, you know, I don't know, some some unnamed wild animals. There's a zoo out there. Let's take a look at this, friends. Wilderness, wilderness in Jesus' day is a pregnant symbol. It's an important archetypal symbol. For us, we talk about, if somebody says, how are you? And somebody says, I'm in the wilderness. uh, Typically, we say, well, you should see a professional about that. (laughs) No, we say... Oh, we know what that means, right? We, we know that means you're going through a difficult time, right? You're going through a difficult season. The wilderness in Jesus' day was the place, in, in Old Testament and Jewish tradition, it was the place of uh, evil spirits, demons. It was the place of there be dragons. It was the, it was the abode of the evil one. And so, so in a sense, friends, this is important for Mark. The wilderness is the opposite of the Garden of Eden. The Garden is the place of shalom, presence of God, everything you need. The wilderness is, the, is kind of the antithesis of that. So Jesus going into the wilderness is, is re, re-entering Israel's story, right? Because Israel spent... 40 years in the wilderness. Elijah spent 40 days in the wilderness. He's reentering the wilderness as, uh, as the true Adam, as someone who confronts Satan and emerges victorious. What we see, though, is that the Spirit casts him into immediate, direct confrontation with evil. Jesus' ministry isn't to put band-aids on evil, but to confront it, to face it head-on, to be engaged in evil. Jesus opposes in the wilderness all that enslaves and desecrates creation. Notice in this picture too. Remember, the picture has the wilderness. It has Satan, but there's also wild animals there. His little zoo. Not not really a zoo. What, what's what's going on with the wild animals? What's what's happening here? Um, there's there's two there's at least two layers of meaning. Uh, one I'll just mention briefly, there's this picture through the prophets in the Old Testament that when, when the Messiah returns, when God sets up his kingdom, that there's going to be this re- redemption of the animal kingdom. So lions will lay down with lambs, right? So there will be this, this sort of n- this re-emergence of harmony in creation. And a lot of people think that this is happening here, that Jesus is confronting evil, that he's got wild animals, sort of, sort of a kindler, gentler Ace Ventura is what's happening here. Right? But I want to say there's something else going on, and I think it has more to do with what, how, what Mark's doing here. Wild animals are symbolic in apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is a genre, like our political cartoons are today. There's been some powerful political cartoons going around. This past week, right? Political cartoons make use of symbols, right? So in political cartoons, you'll see a donkey and you know exactly what the donkey means in a political cartoon, right? If you're over the age of 12. Or an elephant, right? You'll know exactly what that means in a political cartoon. Well, the political cartoons of Jesus' day were apocalyptic stories. Like the book of Daniel is, is an example of apocalyptic literature. And the book of Revelation is, a pic, is an example of apocalyptic literature. And, and this was highly symbolic literature that was meant to critique the political powers of the day. Right? It was like, it was like kind of satire and also kind of like um, crossfire. <laughs> like all, all, all together. Wild animals in Daniel and Revelation stand for the nations. Empires, leaders, kings. And because Mark has just told us in his baptism that when he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart, rendered. An an apocalypse happened. I think we're dealing with apocalyptic happenings here in the wilderness. So Jesus is with The angels, we know what side the angels are on, right? (laughs) Right? right? Don't we? Right. Uh, I'm just assuming most of us have been Christians for 20 minutes. We know what side the angels are on. Uh, And then there's Satan. We know what side he's on. What side are the wild animals on in this confrontation? What do you think? Well, in Daniel and in a Revelation, they're not on God's side. They are opposed to God. So the picture here is this, friends. This is the photograph we have. Jesus, the new Adam, who confronts evil again in the place of evil this time. He confronts how evil takes shape in our world. He confronts the evil that is, that is inhabiting in the systems and structures of empires, kings, and leaders. But here's the crazy thing about this photograph. Mark doesn't tell us what happens. It's just a snapshot. Again, it's not a story. It's just a snapshot. Oh, there's Jesus confronting Satan and Satan that lives in the, in the hierarchy systems and structures of the world. And then he's back in Galilee. <laughs> That's how Mark tells the story. Except he does tell tell us how it ends. Because Jesus comes into Galilee, right? Verse 14. John was arrested. By the way, the wild animals, they're arresting people like John. You see, you think you have bad kings and bad leaders now? 66 church, AD church? John also had a tyrannical, maniacal, drunken king who was arresting people and beheading them. John's about to be beheaded too, by the way. The wild animals are are always on the side of Satan, Mark's telling us. Jesus comes into Galilee and he starts preaching a sermon, a very churchy thing, right? Repent and believe. Do some Christian things, Jesus says, right? Except that this is the actual words, almost verbatim, that an emperor of Rome would send out with a herald to announce that he had just kicked the butts of whoever reigned in the place before. They would go out with the, the good news of victory. And so Jesus comes out of the wilderness, just a snapshot, what happened? I don't know. Oh, let's hear what Jesus has to say. Comes the Galilee and says, good news, the time has come. All that makes creation suffer, including the demonic systemic powers and evil of the empire that we're living in, has been vanquished. The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn and trust me. Friends, today we proclaim the good news. That Jesus goes into the wilderness to face and confront everything that opposes and enslaves his creation. But take heart, Jesus has won. His kingdom is available today. And we can receive his power right, right in the midst of of the opposition. So, this declaration, repentably the good news, this isn't a sermon. It's a summons to new creation. It isn't religious, it's thoroughly political. Do you see that? These aren't spiritual words for people's quiet times. But they're a revolutionary call to live as an alternative community when all hell's breaking loose in an occupied territory. As wild animals do their best to take the world off the precipice of going deeper and darker into the wilderness, Jesus goes into the wilderness, confronts those evil powers, and comes proclaiming his victory and calls everyone to trust him in that occupied territory as a new community to take heart, to turn and trust him. And we see this in Mark's gospel because it keeps going, right? In verse 16, he calls his disciples. He needs a community to practice the sin. In verse 21, he casts out a demon, right? Taking back people's lives from the, 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 the ground the enemy has taken. In verse 29, he's, he heals somebody, putting creation back into shalom, into the order that he's created in. Verse 40, he cleanses a leper, which, yes, is healing, but is more importantly taking somebody who's ostracized and bringing them back into the community that. That they've lost because they have a skin disease. The rest of the first chapter, the rest of Mark's gospel, is about him confronting all the ways that evil has oppressed the people, demonstrating his defeat of the evil one, including his confrontations with the wild animals, the religious leaders, Herod, Pilate, etc. So, friends, How do we respond to this today? What do we do with this good news that Jesus has overcome evil, that his kingdom is available immediately, tangibly today, that we can receive his power right in the midst of our oppression, opposition, fear, and anger? Well, immediately I confess to you that I am more in touch with how other people need to respond to this than myself. Give me three or four sentences about you and I will tell you how you need to respond. I'm in touch with that. I want to just say this too. As a a wealthy American Christian, Um, If I place my story into Mark's story, I have way more in common with the religious leaders and the Herodians than I do with the community this was written to. This was written to a minority community on the margins of power, and I'm a majority person at the center of power. I frankly don't know what to do with that. Except this. This is all I got, friends. All I got today. In view of the evil that confronts, that that still faces our world. I need 30 more seconds. Jesus confronts the evil in in the garden. He overcomes the evil on the cross. And this, this is written to Christians to say, your journey is like Jesus. You are to go into the world proclaiming the kingdom... Exercising, healing, setting people free, reconciling and reuniting people into relationships. So friends, this is our call in Lent and always to join Jesus in this journey, witnessing among the wild animals in the hostility and the confrontation of a different way of being human that's centered on the reconciling love and peace of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. But I think for me, I want to call us today into a time of confessing and reckoning with the evil of our world. Because the wilderness is hard for us, especially when it happens in Florida or Syria. Mexico, or the ghetto, anywhere but my neighborhood, right? So let's stand with Jesus today. Let's lament the evil that we uh, are in touch with, aware of, and let's call upon God's kingdom to come together. There's a prayer in your bulletin that can give voice to our lament today. Here. Yeah, thanks. Oh Lord, we lament the evil of blank. Where, friends, what's... Uh, what do you need to face? What are you sad or angry about? happening in you or around you. We have have no way of offering the good news unless we confront and face the evil of the bad news. Oh Lord, we lament the evil of blank. May the power of your kingdom confront the powers of darkness in our world. And then we'll say, Lord, in your mercy, and we'll all agree by saying here our prayer. Let's spin.